As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is presented in part by Portatree. Hopefully, many of you participated in the off-season practice tree challenge. Portatree's support of the challenge has been tremendous. They are the go-to for all of your practice tree needs. Use Spring 10 for 10% off. In addition, today's podcast is presented by the Moser Great American Bracket Race and Dream Team Challenge. Memorial Day weekend, Britt Cummings and Galen Rollison will host the inaugural Great American $20,000 Bracket Race and the Scoggin Dickey Dream Team Challenge at Memphis International Raceway. Check them out on Facebook to stay up to date with all updates and news. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. This week on What Everyone is Talking About. Big Jed, let's kick this off with some talk from some racing last weekend. We had NHRA at a couple of different locations, bracket racing all across the South. Let's kick this off in your domain, big guy. The third bulb throwdown, Noble, Oklahoma. Yeah, a little bottom bulb in there in Noble. Nick Duty and the, the guys putting on a good race at Noble. And looks like it was well attended, Luke. It, it, people from all over the place came and... Uh, Friday's five grander was won by Tim Wilson. Uh, Saturday's ten grander, which was the big show of the weekend, was won by Cole Castile. You know Cole, right? I was not familiar with Cole Castile, but a little uh, in our production meeting, a yeah. little bit of uh, a little bit of Facebook Google research. We're going to go with this, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I I thought that maybe you'd cross paths with him when you were racing around Crosby, North Dakota. <laughs> because that's where Cole is from, and um, I could think safely say that this is the first time I've mentioned a winner from the great state of North Dakota. So Cole made the trip to Oklahoma, which is probably not quite as far as it sounds from an Alabama guy, but it's still a pretty good ride, I think, from Crosby yeah. to to Noble, and he made it pay off with a ten grand win. So good job to Cole there. Nice work. And yeah, it ain't Saturday, around the block. I can no, guarantee you that. No, he 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 took a trip. And uh, Saturday's five grander wrapped up with Joe LeBlanc getting the win. So nice event there for Nick Duty and the guys at Noble. Third bulb throwdown went well, it looked like. And uh, congratulations to those guys for getting the wins. 
Yeah, I uh, oh, it shows that looks like Mark did some googling. It looks like an, it looks like some like a rough, oh. a, a nice, leisurely eighteen-hour drive. Oh, so it is as far as it seems. North Dakota to oh. uh, Noble, just a little bit south of Oklahoma City. Big Jed, just looking at the results, a couple of things that stood out for me in Friday's five grander when they got down to three cars. Tim Wilson is a guy that I'm familiar with. He ended up winning it. A uh, really good local area racer from down that way that I've raced with all my life. But at three, it's him, Vic Penrod, Chad Sandlin. In that area, I don't know that you get three tougher competitors. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of good racers in that area, but that stood out to me a little bit. And then quick shout out, the last five grander, friend of the show, Nick Siebert, advanced to the semifinals. So way to go, big Nick. Yeah, good to see Nick get that done. And on Saturday's race, Cole bested uh, Robbie Winkle, and uh, then in the semi, the lone semi was Justin Cervantes, which is uh, a guy that has supported the Southern Footbreak Challenge quite a few times and even been out to Bristol to the WFC. So good to see those guys doing well. And uh, Mark put up a little a little map there for us to show from Crosby, North Dakota to Noble, Oklahoma. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. That's quite a ride. There was a time in my life, Luke, when I felt like I was as good a bottom bulber as there was in the country. Now, I was probably way overconfident, but I seemed to perform fairly well there for a two or three year stretch. I wouldn't have rode 18 hours to race nowhere. So, Jed, are you are you looking at this map? Like, I hope we're not wrong. Like, I hope Cole Castile didn't just recently locate relocate to like Tulsa, and we just sound like idiots. But like <laughs> Crosby, North Dakota, like that's barely in the United States, Big Jed. Like that's bordering whatever's up there, Canada. Yes, it is, eh? That's a, <laughs> a pretty good ride. Pretty good. Way gotta, to make that pay off, Mister. You got to get out and about there to. <laughs> To make that trip. Yeah, that's a golly. I mean, I couldn't imagine it. So, yeah, if you did come from Crosby, Cole, good for you. And if you live closer, don't tell us because this is a way better story. NHRA Division 4 kicked off at Bellrose. Nothing too notable there that, that I came across anyway, except Team Luke. Team Luke, we finally got on the board. We're like, mm. what is this, four weekends in? Team Luke finally made a little noise. Kuda. Got off to a good start with the win in Stock Eliminator, correct? Yeah, Cooter got off to a great start there in Stock. And it, uh, again, I saw some overview picks, I think, that uh, Bob Unkefer posted. And it looked like a full house there in Belrose. So good for those guys. Good start. They, they typically have to deal with a little weather this time of year down in there. Those heavy rains set in, but they had them a really good weekend and Cooter had a great weekend. Get Team Luke off to a good start, and you're going to need it, my friend. Yeah, I understand. With that in mind, this week's Siebert performance, Who's Hot, goes the direction of Team Jed. I guess I'll let you tell him about it, big fella. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. Siebert Performance, Who's Hot? It's tax time, guys, and our friends at Siebert Performance will be running an income tax sale this year. If you buy a 4150 or Dominator, you will receive a billet carb spacer absolutely free. You need to take advantage of the tax time sale from now until the end of March. Don't forget Siebert Performance. For all of your engine and carburetor needs, be sure to look them up on Facebook or call 785 785- Two eight six six eight one three. Luke, we got a hot driver this week, actually, for the last couple of events out on the West Coast, the Phoenix National event, and now the divisional this past weekend. Uh, hashtag Team Jed member Paul Nero getting it done in top dragster. Uh, both of those events, Luke, he is off to a super hot start and got uh, Team Jed feeling pretty good about themselves right now yeah as well you should big jed and huge congrats mr nero back to back top dragster wins in phoenix national and divisional um huge accomplishment and obviously trying to uh cut that number on the scoop in half paul was the number two finisher in last year's uh, nhra top dragster standings and obviously at this point is the front runner to go to number one but with that in mind big jed I'm not giving up on Team Luke. Let's re let's let's look back again in two weeks. We get we got two Division Two or the Division Two opener or I'm sorry the second Division Two event yep, in Gainesville. Two dash two. 
and the Gator Nationals. And uh, my team is uh, does include a couple of Division II frontrunners. So hopefully Team Luke can make a little noise in Gainesville. We won't just uh, put the crown on top of Nero's head just yet. Oh, I'm sure your team perform well like they always do. But uh, for right now, I've kind of got the, the bragging rights. I got the lead, the leader in the clubhouse. And whether that's short-lived or long-lived really doesn't matter. I'm feeling really good about myself. So great job, Paul Nero. Appreciate you getting Team Jet off to a great start. Luke, that wasn't the only uh, hot discussion that we need to have this week. Uh, over in Prescott, they had uh, had yeah, a nice a little story. Yeah, they had a nice event there in Prescott this past weekend. Uh, again, Johnny Brackett Racer and Cody Pollage and the guys at Prescott put on an event. And uh, the ten, one of the 10K finals, which I believe was Saturday's final, if I remember correct, a really special moment happened for a couple of really good guys out of Texas. Yeah, a uh, winner of that $10,000 main event, Chris Galitti from the Houston area. A lot of you are familiar with Chris. Ran IHRA Top Sportsman for several years with great success. His brother, Bob, has a lot of success in NHRA Top Sportsman. And Chris has won bracket races in a in a number of different cars and, and venues over the years. Uh, he got the win. $10,000 win up at Prescott. Uh, Runner-up was Corey Galitti. If that sounds familiar, they do share yeah. the same last name. That was a father-son final for ten grand up there in Arkansas. Pretty cool uh, experience for those two, no question. Yeah, really cool. Those guys uh, have gotten off to a hot start this year uh, on the bracket scene, and both of them very talented. Uh, Chris raising a fine young man there in Corey and um those you know that will not be their last one of these i'm sure because they're ultra talented and they're hitting all the big races but that's a very special moment so congratulations to the galitti family that's uh it's a really cool thing to see you guys run that 10k final and luke uh my good friend rodney alds he's a, a southern footbreak challenge supporter he uh, come out of north louisiana and doubled up in the no box category in his s10 which Typically, we'll dial somewhere in the 535 to 545 range, I believe. It gets after it really good. And Rodney picked up both wins in the no-box category. Yeah, that was a red-hot performance. And uh, I just was looking at pictures of results. And Rodney's S10 is cool. Like, And you don't see too many bottom bulb S10s with beadlocks. That got my attention. I like it. So, uh, <laughs> cool truck and obviously a good weekend. And Jed, I, I guess... I'm outing ourselves a little bit just on our, our level of preparation for this week's Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. But it just dawned on me as you were talking about the Glitties right after we talked about Paul Nero. I don't think I'm mistaken here. I think they share a sponsor. That Rad Torque Tools, that's on both of those cars, isn't it? Oh, I do not know that. I, I think that's accurate. And you got you got a couple from Texas and uh, and Paul from uh, Idaho, Washington, somewhere way up there. Like, that's pretty cool. Oregon? I don't know. I, again, lack Paul's of Morgan. <laughs> all right, all right, cool. Lack of uh, of research on this week's podcast on my part, but uh, it's a pretty good weekend for uh, the Rad Torque Tools guys. Yeah, not bad at all. <laughs> you got guys from Oregon and and Texas that you've supported, and they're out winning races already in February and March. So great start for the Rad guys as well. And, uh, Luke, um, you know, just quickly, Friday's uh, Gambler there in in uh, Prescott was won by Cameron Thomas. Uh, obviously, Saturday was Chris Galitti, and um, Sunday's uh, 5K winner was uh, Heath Fountain. So, good event there for those guys, and uh, congratulations to Paul Nero for being our Seabird Performance Who's Hot, and uh, honorable mention for those cool Galittis. Yeah, shout out to all of those guys. Uh, big show on tap today. We kind of ro rolled through last week's results. We talked about Who's Hot. Um, <clears throat> last week on the show... We breached the discussion of the Sportsman Drag Racing Hall of Fame and kind of bounced around some ideas of um, how that should be constituted, if it was to, to actually come to fruition, where it should be located, who should be inducted. Um, we got a lot of great feedback from you guys. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and we'll go a little bit deeper into the discussion with a very special guest this week. Uh, we wanted to get someone on that was... 
um, a little bit more diverse, I guess, in their experience uh, within sports and drag racing, and in, and in this case, drag racing in general. And it doesn't get much more diverse than Brett Kepner. So we'll be honored to be joined by Brett uh, and, and get a little bit deeper and get a little bit different perspective on that Hall of Fame discussion. Um, but before we get to that, Jed, let's pay a couple bills. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You have to be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. All right, guys, we mentioned Portatree earlier in the show. I use their Eliminator next-gen practice tree myself, along with the Portatree mini tabletop tree. The next-gen is Portatree's newest, most realistic tree, and it's by far the most well-designed and thought-out practice product that I've seen. It's got a ton of features, but two that really stand out for me. First, it allows me to save up to 15 unique user setups, so I can switch from one car to another, my dragster on a full tree, to my Vega on the bottom bulb, from my to my wife, all with the touch of a button. All of my settings are saved. Plus, the stats log is like a virtual logbook that really lets me analyze my progress from one session to the next. And for those of you that were a part of the off-season practice tree challenge, know that that stats log is like a godsend. Like it really makes day-to-day comparison a lot quicker and a lot easier. In short, I love it. You'll love it too. Check it out at portatree.com and don't forget to use spring 10 as the promo code and check it out to receive 10% off memorial day weekend memphis international raceway will play host to the great american twenty thousand dollar bracket race and dream team challenge now this event will have something for everyone it's boasting payouts of ten thousand dollars on friday twenty thousand on sunday and ten thousand monday on the box side while the foot brake or bottom bulbers will get to race for 5000 on Friday, 10000 on Sunday, and 5000 on Monday for only $200. Now, Saturday will feature the first-ever Dream Team Challenge. This race will consist of 32 teams of box racers, 32 teams of no-box racers, and 16 junior teams. They'll battle it out to find out who has assembled the ultimate Dream Team. They are all still taking alternates if you'd like to get on the list. Even if you're not competing in the Dream Team race, there is plenty to be excited for with the big money on Friday, Sunday, and Monday. Be sure to check out the Great American Bracket Race Facebook page for complete details. It's time for... The Big Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, guys, as promised, we brought in somebody that's going to be able to help talk about our Hall of Fame discussion and give a lot of insight into what Hall of Fame drag racing is all about. This gentleman has attended over 4,000 drag racing events. Yeah, over 4,000. He became a drag racing journalist in 1976 at the tender age of 18. He has very good final round record, 111 wins out of 186 finals with his on-the-track efforts. And since we're talking Hall of Fame, we need to mention that he's a member of the East Coast Drag Racing Hall of Fame and the Gateway International Raceway Hall of Fame. It is a complete honor to have... Brett Kepner on with us tonight. Brett, we appreciate you taking some time to join us. I certainly appreciate the invitation, and the honor is mine, gentlemen. It's pretty, pretty big shoes involved in this show in every way, shape, or form. Uh, what you've managed to accomplish yourself, uh, forget about uh, the other guy. Uh, it <laughs> is absolutely astounding. And like I said, I'm truly, truly honored to have received an, an invitation to this thing. Yeah, man, it's great to have you. I mean, you know, when you think of people that know the history of sportsman drag race, and I'm not sure there's anybody on earth, Brett, that knows it better than you do. So obviously we're going to get a chance to talk about that. But 
your career is so storied and so long. I no no offense, but I mean you've been in this sport so long. You you have seen it all, and we're looking forward to to getting your insight tonight. Well, I yeah, owe it all to not dying, but I promise I'll give you as much insight <laughs> as I can. <laughs> Briefly, for our listeners that missed last week's episode, a brief recap of last week. We kind of breached this Hall of Fame discussion and just the idea of if there was such a thing as a Sportsman Drag Racing Hall of Fame, where should it be and who should be included? And we got fairly rigid in our approach just because you could go so many different ways with this. And and we pitched it as, okay, you have to pick a promoter or a track operator. You have to pick a member of the media. You have to pick a member of the automotive aftermarket industry. You have to pick a legend of the sport, someone that time in racing ha- has passed. And then four drivers, either, either past or current. So we kind of had an eight person nominee panel and obviously we put it out to you guys the listeners on uh, on facebook and twitter had a lot of great feedback and response had a lot of folks agree with some of our picks i know uh jed your steve taylor submission was a popular one as was jed coughlin senior as was dale wilson for the media pick as far as racers it seemed like the overwhelming majority of votes were also familiar scotty richardson peter biondo dan fletcher david rampey all names that we mentioned last week i don't know it, this is kind of like the the top 25 poll when i sit back and listen to everyone else's response there are always a few that i go oh man i didn't even think about that and this you could go so many different directions i think we're gonna have a lot of that the ones that stood out to me who did we miss so to speak or that i didn't even think about on the legend standpoint jim harrington a guy that was super dominant in racing and i think influenced more racers within our niche of the sport than a lot of people realize like yeah harry had a way of doing things and a way of handling himself and then i also taught too with the jim harrington driving school like i do think he is a very much a good pick for the inaugural inductee so to speak and ron leak i think i had meant to mention ron was the owner i believe and, and promoter of iron dragway for a lot of years i believe still is and I know we mentioned Byron on last show, but I don't think I, I mentioned Ron specifically. He would be another great candidate on the manager-promoter end of it. Before we get too in-depth with Brett, anything that jumped out to you, Big Jed, that you thought, ooh, that's a, that's a really good mention, a really good pick? Just what you said. I think you mentioned Ron Leak off-air, Luke. You, you talked about him, so you definitely recognize that he was a, a potential inductee if there were such a thing. And... The Jim Harrington pick just slapped me right in the face. I loved Jim Harrington. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him, but what little time I did spend with him, he made me feel like somebody and made me, uh, you know, like he knew me, which was uh, an honor to me and just an all-around good guy. So, yeah, that one slapped me right in the face. I, I couldn't believe that I didn't think about that, but, you know, I'm, I'm a simple-minded guy sometimes and just lose sight of some of those things. But that, that was pretty much it to me. As you alluded to a little bit, Jed, in your introduction for Brett, I I thought who would be more fitting to bring into this conversation than someone who has essentially seen it all, and at least compared to us, Jed, who I think were fairly knowledgeable in our specific niche, we haven't witnessed near the diversity in sportsman drag racing and drag racing in general as Brett Kepner. So I'm fascinated to hear some of his takes on some of these as we go. Brett, when we were texting back and forth about you coming on the show, I think the first question you asked was, okay, well, where do you draw the line? Like, what is the delineation for quote unquote sportsman drag racing? So I'll, I'll turn that around and ask you, like, where would you draw the line? Oh no, don't ask me because you're the guys that are bringing up. I'm I'm dead serious. You really don't want to know my opinion on that. You don't have enough time to hear it. This is your ball game. And therefore it's obviously the very first question that I would ask you was for you to define your version of sportsman drag racing. What exactly is this supposed to be about? Yeah, because obviously you could go a lot. It, it of doesn't matter. I just, we just need to know. Right. No, and that's a good point. And, and I guess for the most part or for the purpose of our show, our listeners know what we mostly talk about is – Nowadays, the, the NHRA sportsman ranks from Superstock down, basically. We touch a little bit on Comp Eliminator, not a lot. And obviously, the bracket racing scene from local to the regional and to the big dollar events. There was a lot, and we kind of prefaced this last show, Brett, in that it, seemingly, at least in my experience, when you ask 
if you asked 50 racers about the origins or the birthplace of bracket racing, you get like 48 different answers and all of them pretty passionate about it. But I noticed on the Facebook thread that, that you, you seem to have a little bit more concrete evidence than most, but didn't want to share it. I'm, I'm curious, what is your take? If I remember, or in if your I remember opinion? The, the, thread that you're, the thread that you're talking about, I said that I didn't, I've learned to shut up. <laughs> and and, that, and that's exactly why is because of what you just described the fact that everybody has their own opinions and the problem is i guess i need to explain something about brett kepner beforehand my friends know me well enough to know this but it's important in this conversation i very seldom voice an opinion but i will always jump in if somebody says well big daddy don garlitz won indy 10 times i will be the first one to jump in and say no big daddy don garlitz won indy seven times I'm a huge stickler for facts. Uh, the history of drag racing is literally what I do for a living. I spend all my time going over and over and over the history of drag racing. Both of you may realize that about 20 years ago, 22 to be exact, I started, I guess, technically writing a book about every drag strip ever built. And my objective, once satellite photographs became available on the Internet, came up with the simple plan, find every drag strip ever built and chronicle its history. Well, I've been doing that for 22 years. Just as a, an aside, I just passed the 800,000 word mark in that manuscript. <laughs> so it's, it's not going to be a real popular book, but it is stuff that's written down. How when you're many, studying the history of all, how many are there? Yeah, just curious. The, what are you the, up to? The first question everybody asked. How many do you think there have been? Since the... See how good, see how good either one of you are. Oh, this does uh, not include sand drags. Uh, does not include uh, snowmobile drags because those are transient tracks that are almost impossible to find. Uh, these are actual located coordinate in, coordinates marked drag strips in <clears throat> North America or across the world. Or pick one. Pick one <laughs> I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to make me sound really silly here. I'll say in North America and I'll guess somewhere in the neighborhood of 700. Oh man. 750 okay. was my number in North America. Okay. Well, you're close. 2270 right now in North America. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Just missed it by a Globally, just over 4,000. No kidding. Wow. Uh, and something else. One more thing that has nothing to do with the conversation. Then I promise I'll stay on track. For all the people out there who whine and scream and say drag racing nowadays sucks, it's not like it was in the old days, there's no tracks open, everybody keeps closing. Drag racing since 1945, technically after World War II, has had the same number of drag strips operating at any given time, with the sole exception of the first oil embargo in 1973 and 4, which closed a lot of tracks. That number is 400. There are right now, as we sit talking, 405 active tracks in this country. And people will whine and say, ah, oh, there's, you know, there used to be hundreds of tracks all over the country. And it's like, well, there still is. And it never changes. One closes, another one opens up. Yeah. It stays the same. Okay, now let's get back to the subject. Now that you know why I'm such a freak about history, and I hope you understand that I, I swear to you, I can back up any fact I bring up. I we have that. to go back. We have to go back to what people think about the history of bracket racing. What year do either of you guys think technically bracket racing started? Well, Brett, I, you know, my dad raced stockers and, and did it on the handicap index style. I would assume that was the first form of bracket racing. And I would have thought that happened in the late sixties, maybe 67, 68, 69. That would be my guess. And, yeah. and my understanding as well, obviously before my time. So tell us where we're wrong. Jed, what do you think? Yeah, that's what I was saying. I I thought it oh, was. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought it was uh, late sixties. <laughs> oh, uh, the problem with everybody's assumption of when bracket racing started is the fact that unfortunately, ninety nine point nine percent of all bracket racers don't have any idea what bracket racing really started out as. Here are the facts: bracket racing started out long before there was an electronic starting system at most tracks, and most importantly, long before there was ever a handicapper involved. The actual brain box that was the, the first to allow one lane to start before the other. The, the electronic 
starting device that was the standard for the sport. There have been tons of them through the 50s and stuff, but the the one that became the standard, of course, was the Krondek Christmas tree, which didn't debut until September of 1963. The Handicapper didn't debut until early 1965. So technically, you could not have gotten a handicap start on a Christmas tree prior to 1965. But bracket racing was around for seven years before 1965. And here's what bracket racing was and what the word bracket means. Everybody knows that class racing got too expensive and drag racing started losing racers because of it. What most people don't realize is that didn't happen in 1967. It happened in 1957. Class racers stumbled on a good combination or worked their butts off to get a good combination. And as soon as they were unbeatable, everybody else in sea gas or whatever class decided to stay home. The tracks understood this, and several tracks started a program that was designed for people that didn't have to run heads up against a sea gas car. You got to remember. Pretty much every form of drag racing was heads-up start through roughly 1965. Now, that's not true when you're talking about eliminator competition. Eliminator competition handicaps where they actually marked off a car length per half second on the side of the track. Does anybody remember that? That started around 1959. But that was still flag start days. If you had a three-second handicap, then you parked six car lengths down track and the starter got in front of the slow car and waved the flag and they both took off at the same time. That was the original handicap racing. That started, like I said, around 1960. But in 1958, when domination was the name of almost every class that you could find a car to fit in, tracks started doing this. They created, in some cases, one-second increments in other cases, and later on, half-second increments, and created classes. The A class was, let's say, between 9 seconds and 10 seconds. The B class was between 10 seconds and 11 seconds. The C class was 11 to 12, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If this is starting to sound familiar, each one-second increment was a bracket. That's where bracket racing started. There was no handicap. It's heads up. And, of course, nowadays we call wow. this kind of racing, what do we call it? Racket racing. No, index oh, racing. Oh, yeah, well, like class racing. Right. Heads up on a fixed index. You go quicker than eight, or you're in the 10-second uh, or the A class, 10-second class, and you go 9.99 seconds. What happens? Yeah, it's a breakout. So, no, interesting stuff. And you I break out of the bracket. Mm-hmm. That's okay. where the term comes That's from. That's where the term comes from. You break out of the 10-second bracket, and you lose. But this was heads-up, start, no handicap. That's what bracket racing originally was. We now call it index racing. The handicap of- start bracket racing didn't start until the handicapper came into being, which would have been, like I said, 1965, and most tracks didn't get one until 68 or so. Now, the reason I'm bringing all that crap up is for this reason. That means that there are at least two different kinds of bracket racing that we know of. There's handicap, dial-your-own bracket racing, and in fact, in the handicap racing, that was the key, the fact that you could predict your own performance instead of going off of an index or a national record. Mm-hmm. And we also had heads-up brackets, or what we now call index racing. You and I will both agree, all three of us, I should say, will all agree, two completely different types of racing if you really want to get nitpicky about it. Then you bring in class racing, whether it's a Superstock H Automatic 350 Camaro or you know, pick anything in class racing. As all three of us understand, completely different form of drag racing, especially when you take into consideration pre-1977 racing in which you're running off a national event, uh, I'm sorry, a national record. And in that period, depending on where you raced, what association, et cetera, et cetera, you were either racing with a tenth of a second breakout or no breakout at all. That's a completely different form of racing. Then we get into what we call pro sportsman stupidest name ever created in drag racing but it's an example of the ultimate stupidity who can spend several million dollars on a sportsman drag racing car and run for five thousand dollars to win that would be your top alcohol dragster and top alcohol funny car guys (laughs) and then there's one more there's one more form of sportsman racing that we haven't talked about that's completely different than any of them 
And earlier you mentioned a driver who would easily be probably the first inductee in this type of drag racing. What kind of drag racing are we talking about? Competition eliminator. You got it. Ain't nothing like competition eliminator <laughs> in any other sport on this planet. I take people to drag races for the first time and I explain to them every single class that comes down the track. I tell them what to look for and what's going on. And when competition eliminator comes out, I say, go get a coke. i'm glad we're not the only ones jed (laughs) yeah we talked about that last week that you know we we made a whole show for that it's one of the most absurd pieces of drag racing evolution in the history of the world you can't explain that to somebody who works at nasa it's just incredible you and i understand it and now with the personal indexes over the last three years it's like oh my god so my point is there's at least four versions of sportsman drag racing right there that we know are completely different than the others. So do you put David Rampey, Johnny Labuse, Jim Harrington, and who would be a, and Fletcher in the same group? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. For the purpose of this discussion, we, we sort of are. I'm curious uh-huh. now, like, obviously there's, there's different forms and, and facets and migrations, so to speak, along the way of the bracket racing model. But if you go all the way back to what you said, 58 or something like, do you have a specific facility that you would credit as the birthplace? Probably Lions. I've done a lot of research and yes, it is still a gray area, but there were a group of Southern California tracks, about eight of them in total that followed each other's leads and it looks like Lions was the first one to do it uh, only by a matter of weeks because the other tracks jumped right on it as soon as they found out it was a success. Now, you hear other stuff about, a good example would be Sunset in Mercer, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people consider Sunset to be you know, the home of bracket racing. And there's a dozen other tracks that claim to be the home of bracket racing. There's also a dozen other, tr- the, those same dozen other tracks don't even know their own opening dates, but you get my point. Everybody takes credit <laughs> for it. Of course. Uh, and yeah, it's possible that they were in the same two year period, but it's funny because like we just talked about, when people think, oh, well, Mercer started bracket racing in 1959 no they didn't that place didn't even have a tree until like 66 or 67 and and i've raced there by the way yeah i'm sure you probably have too haven't you ever been to sunset pennsylvania sunset in i don't know if luke has but i haven't can't say that i have a mark mark may have you can pipe in and turn your mic on if you want mark you ever been to sunset i have not sunset has i think since closed i don't think it just it just closed again in the last three years uh, it was closed for 15 years, and that reopened around 2002 and ran for about 14, 15 years. Yeah, that's uh, right. yeah, and then it's closed. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. never, I've never, I never made it up there. I'm from Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh area. I've never made it up there. Oh, okay, cool. <clears throat> well, as as an example, one of the earliest tracks that ran the fixed brackets, what like I said, what we now call index racing, is Howland, Pennsylvania, which is right up the road from you. Howland Dragway, ever hear of it? I have never I have never heard of that at all. Opened in '57 and closed in '64, and it was one of the earliest ones on the East Coast that that ran it. But my point is, everybody thinks that that's the creation of bracket racing, and they think of a Christmas tree with one lane coming down first, and that's not what we're talking about. As far as handicap stuff going, uh, a lot of people, a lot of tracks, I should say, just switched again because. Nobody could beat the local guy in Superstock H Automatic, and they were stuck with a one-second slow Superstock H Automatic car, and were either going to go buy a boat or shoot the guy that had the fast Superstock H Automatic car. So they created Die Your Own Stuff in the 1965, 6, and 7 area. Yeah, so I, uh, I don't know if Luke is, but cool Brad, I've been able to. Isn't it cool how I've been able to make this so confusing that nobody even cares anymore? Well, you, <laughs> I feel like we're talking to a drag racing encyclopedia. This is I'll awesome. Play. Where do you store all that information? But <laughs> so, I, and, and hey, I, lose, I lose a bunch of it every day. You guys will get old one day, and I can tell you it's not fun. But go ahead. Well, I don't know about Luke, but I'm guilty as charged on what I thought. What I said bracket racing was so you definitely opened my eyes to to what it really is but all that considered and what the show is built around what we consider the sportsman drag racer if there were such a hall of fame 
where would it need to be? I know this is kind of putting you on the spot, but where would be a great spot for the Sportsman Drag Racing Hall of Fame? I'll be honest with you guys, having been involved, I'm actually on the board of the East Coast Drag Times Hall of Fame now. After they inducted me, they kind of presented me with the honor of helping decide all this stuff now. Even though they're going to have a brick-and-mortar site, this is mid-21st century now, and it doesn't need to be anywhere except accessible. So online is your first place. I can promise you, much much like my 800,000-page book or 800,000-word book, a drag racing hall of fame isn't going to make anybody any money. So <laughs> it's kind of a moot point. Uh, That's actually you know, Garlitz does, does okay, you know, because he's off the interstate and his name is barely recognizable to most 80 year olds. So he's the only one that's going to get away with this. Even the national Hobbit association museum doesn't do a bustling business. It's, it's a tax write off, but you know, it's not a bustling business. So I don't know what you want out of it, but, as far as honoring people, which is what I think all hall of halls of fame should be about your, your best place to be is on the internet. Oh, good point. Makes good sense to me based on the criteria that we kind of outlined earlier. Do you just want to go off the cuff and share some of your thoughts? Like who should be in? Like we talked about a, uh, track promoter, a race promoter and, or track operator. And I think Jed and I both had George Howard on the first ballot. Give us somebody that we hadn't necessarily thought of there, because I know you have so much diverse experience in this, in that area. Well, I'll, I'll clue you in on how we sit down at an actual table and decide uh, yeah. what's going on at the East Coast Dragon Times Hall of Fame. The first thing you have to do is come up with a criteria. You mentioned earlier, you know, we'd have uh, a track operator, a media guy, four drag racers, and then what? Well, you haven't explained what's going to get them in other than being drag racers. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you need to figure out if you're talking about, uh, you know, personalities or what they've actually done for the sport or number of wins or most, you know, put a Fletcher or a Bagaki in there, you know, with most wins in a variety of different classes or whatever. There's so many different ways to make somebody viable for induction in one of these things. And again, I stress, this is your ball game. If you say you got to be blonde and under 180 pounds, then that's cool. It's it's your ball game. You can make up whatever rules you want. (laughs) I'm out. On straight out wins, we're all out. Well, probably not, Luke, but you know what I'm saying. On straight up wins, I only know three human beings. And when I say no, I mean people who can confirm the number and who I believe, honestly, is probably part of it. I only know three people over a thousand event wins. And I'm not saying that there's only been three. I'm sure there's probably others out there because I know quite a few in the 800 range. But is that going to be a criteria? More importantly, should it not be a criteria? I would have never guessed there were three races that got to a thousand wins. Who are the three that you can kind of verify? Just now I'm curious. One of them you brought up last week from what you said earlier. Guy I used to race with as much as I could possibly go with him, Steve Taylor. Steve Taylor, okay. Other one is the only guy with four wheels and two legs, or in one leg, excuse me. Okay, we talked about Chip last week. And the other one is Butch Weinrich. Oh, I didn't Wow. Yep, okay. Butch Weinrich got a thousand. The only three that I know for a fact have over 1,000 wins. Like I said, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that there's not more. I presume there are. You know, it's like knowing somebody that has two perfect passes. You know there's got to be somebody out there with three. Uh, (laughs) A thousand event wins. Think about that for a second, Jed. A thousand event wins. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, but look look at it realistically. Look at it realistically. In a 30-year career, that's only 35 wins a year. Who the and hell wins 35 racing, races you know, a year if you're <laughs> in chip, this day and age, you know, if, if you're chip or Steve Taylor and you're racing an honest to God, four nights a week, right? It can be done. You're right. No, that's like a coach K record for wins though. Like I, in today's climate and format, like it's just hard to see anybody reaching that mark again. That's nuts. Look at Manzo. Yeah. You know, 150 wins. Is anybody going to ever be able to do that in an alcohol funny car? Well, guess what? Anybody who says no is an idiot because every record in drag racing history has been broken at least once. So, you know, it can be done. Yeah, well said. My point is, 
you have to come up with criteria. You have to sit down and say, okay, we're going to judge these people on ICAMA and, or not, uh, yeah, ICAMA and uh, what's his name with Dead and Bear. Are you not going to put them in? Jesus Christ. Right, just mentioning right, yeah. a, a random, just mentioning a random religious entity there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go down my path. Uh, but, I, I mean, we could stay in the aftermarket industry if you want, but we talked about like the racers whose success has stood out to you on the track. What about maybe drivers or racers significantly positive impact on the sport? Who would stand out with you if, if the criteria was along those lines? But rather than pull a name out of my out of an orifice, <laughs> let me give you this brief story. You, you probably remember when the NHRA created their top 50 of all time deal for their uh, 50th anniversary. Phil Burgess of National Dragster contacted me and said, I, would you like to be on this board? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. But you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And he said, well, you know, just let me know when you come up with a list. Well, I was faced with the same dilemma that we're discussing here. You know, how do I even rate somebody to get on this list? And what I did was I came up with, this is typical anal Brett Kepner here. I came up with a numerical system of rating, uh, different categories, performance, personality, uh, mechanical innovation. Mm -hmm. And another one of the categories was hardship, just general hardship in what they had to go through to do what they did. You know, Don Garlitz came from a dirt floor shack and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Shirley Muldowney made my top 10 because of number of wins, what she had done for the sport, et cetera, et cetera, and hardship. You know, mm -hmm. She did not, she was far from the first woman in drag racing. You know, good grief. There's been women winning in drag racing since 1950. She was nowhere near the first woman in drag racing. She really wasn't even the first one to drive a nitro dragster, if you want to know the truth. But anyway, guess who finished in my top five based on hardship? Well, I shouldn't say based on hardship. He had plenty of wins to back up uh, the deal. But take a guess. This is an old timer. He's a guy from the 60s. Oh, man. Kara <laughs> uh, Massini's. Okay, I'll take that as a decent guess. The answer is Malcolm Durham. Does that name mean anything to you guys? Uh, I'm out on that one, Brad. Yeah, I wouldn't have got there. Okay. Malcolm Durham was a black racer from Washington, D.C., who ran heads-up factory experimental cars, moved into the funny cars as early as you could in 1966, 7, 68, 69. Eventually went on to race pro stock in the 90s, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, wow. But in the 1963, 4, and 5 era, he was unbelievably tough. He could beat Anybody, Ronnie Sox, Dino Don, you, you name it. He could beat them at their home track on a sunny day. And when the race was over, Malcolm would get paid and he would leave the, the track and he could not stay in the same motel as the guy he just beat. Wow. wow. He couldn't eat dinner with anybody from the track. That's a pretty rough life. No kidding. You put yeah. Chip Horton in that group mm -hmm. and he would stand out he would stand out head and shoulders now how the hell does a one-legged man win a thousand races in a foot brake car <laughs> great question i mean that's a no. challenge i couldn't even imagine what chips accomplished and we did talk a little bit about him last week so Steve taylor you know he he specifically it wasn't an accident he specifically raced those 10 second cavaliers in super pro eliminator I personally watched him win all four brackets at a Super Chevy Atlanta and get kicked out of Super Chevy, I might add. And his whole deal was something that uh, I, I've spent most of my racing career trying to prove. Anybody can be beaten with anything at any time. Yeah. Uh, so, again, no you, put him against, you put him against a Labuse, better yet, a Labuse Jr., who's spent his whole career winning, but in a completely different scenario. And I don't know if the two are equal. And yeah, then on right. top of all of that, you get somebody like Harrington. I still, even though none of us have briefcases anymore, only the older guys will remember what briefcases were. In my briefcase, I used to carry with me a time slip that I stole from Harrington. I said, I'm going to keep this as an inspiration for as long as I live. I watched the man drive into English town on a Wednesday night in a 1968 six cylinder Nova that had, it may have had a hundred thousand miles on it. It looked like it had 200,000 miles on it 
And he had bought this thing for 50 bucks from, God, I don't even remember who, James Antoinette, maybe, and uh, was going to drive it home and resell it for 50 more bucks, you know, sell it for 100 bucks or something like that. And he said, watch this, and jumped in the car, entered the bracket class, and in the first round, ran a perfect pass in this thing. He <laughs> was, was 500, 500 and dead on 1960 on a 1960. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's so Jim Harrington. That is Harry. So I, I'm only confirming those three, you know, that you guys already brought up. My point is, is there's a million other human beings out there that are worthy of being in this thing, but only if you accept a wider, wider criteria. No, that's a great point. And, and just the idea of how did, can you possibly quantify one against the other? And I think that's why if you had a panel of a hundred distinguished you know racing enthusiasts sportsman drag racing enthusiasts you're not likely to get a lot of duplicate answers so that's, that's a good point all the way around we're getting close to to having kept you here way too long or, or, or long enough brett what is there anything that we, no 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 this has been awesome like I, i've we've yeah. just speaking for myself we thoroughly enjoyed your uh, insight is there anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to get to a road that you wanted to go down before we let you go no, I applaud what you're doing. I mean, it needs to be done. The East Coast Drag Time still does include sportsman racers. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Garlitz doesn't. Obviously, the NHRA doesn't. And there is no true sportsman-only deal. There is nothing to stop you guys, and no good reason, I might add, to stop you guys from having 1,000 inductees. Because <laughs> there is an awful lot of human beings that have been involved in this sport. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, since 1950, we're talking millions of human beings. So having 1,000 inductees ain't that big of a deal when you're pulling from that kind of a pool. Uh, you know, the NHRA Pro roster since the beginning of time, you know, probably doesn't include more than about 5,000 human beings. So, you know, Don Garlic shouldn't be inducting more than five people a year. But mm -hmm. you guys, you guys have a bigger and better job. Like I said, it's important to differentiate from the different types of sportsman racing. You know, Frank Manzo, you and I both know, we put him in a rental car and tell him to go run street ET. It ain't going to be pretty, uh, <laughs> on the same, on the same line you put Steve Taylor in a, in Manzo's car, that's going to be even uglier. So you're talking about sportsman cars, both. So you know, it's up to you guys, but it's your deal. So decide what you want to do and then go with it. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. Well, and to be clear, like we're probably never going to do this. So maybe an, an online thing, like you say, that seems a little bit more feasible than doing something brick and mortar. We were just looking for something to talk about, but it has been fascinating discussion. And I think what you bring to the table, like you could open it up. We could do four more episodes on this if we wanted to. We would probably make a season out of it. But uh, good stuff, Brett. I, and I'm curious too. Before we before we completely let you go, you said in North America, there's been over four thousand. Drag strips in operation? No, no. I said in, in North America, North America has been over 2,800. 2,800. Uh, total. 4, but I said there's always 4, 400 open. Gotcha. How yeah, 4,000 worldwide, but I said there's always 400 open. I, sorry for confusing that. How, I'm curious now, because I saw this number, but it's it's been dated. Like, how many of those, and I realize that not all of those facilities are, are in operation. How many of those have you set foot on in your lifetime? 312. 312. Yeah, I'm at 312 right now. Yeah. Wow. Which nice. is oh. nothing. No. I'll be honest with you. This goes back to the exact same thing we were talking about before. I don't know anybody else who's gone to more than 312, but I guarantee somebody's out there. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> what? Uh, just oddest. So don't, don't make me the king. <laughs> oddest or most intriguing facility that you've been to? You you really do want to make this a series uh, that lasts all <laughs> I season. Don't you? Go for hours. Uh, stuff fascinates me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll leave you with this one since I know you really do have to cut this off. And now you know how people who are sitting in the grandstands at an event that I'm announcing know when they how they feel when they can't shut me off. Of all the trophies I own, one that's very special to me is a uh, six foot trophy that I got for winning the uh, hey I think it was eight hundred dollar to win bracket program at a little track that I had never been to. I was in a Taurus rental and just everything went my way and I ended up winning. And I am the only person, I guess, other than people that have won big races at this track who owns a trophy 
that is one fiftieth the length of the drag strip he raced on. <laughs> okay. This is is this awesome? Uh, it's awesome. I was just going to say, I thought for sure yeah. you guys would probably pick it up. Uh, <laughs> I've I never want, been I want and I want a six foot. I want a six foot trophy, and it's a three hundred foot track. <laughs> so, just imagine, Luke. You know, go to Indy and win a track. I uh, win a trophy that's one fiftieth the size of the uh, <laughs> the track. Is that West Virginia one for me? That's that's Kentucky. It's uh, Kentucky, okay. midway between Hazard, as in Dukes of, and oh, cool. right where they shot Deliverance. No lie. <laughs> oh goodness, <laughs> you know everything. So, <laughs> man, we appreciate it so much. It's been awesome sitting chatting with you and, and listening to the all the knowledge come out of you, which we knew was going to happen. So. Real quick, I want folks to know that if they're not following you on Facebook, you're a great follow. They need to go to your page and just hit the follow and, and keep up with you because you're always spewing knowledge on there, and it's always fact, like you say. So people need to go check you out. But what's occupying your time these days? Where can people keep up with you a little more? Pretty much all my TV stuff nowadays is on NBC Sports and on Velocity. Uh, I still announce a handful of about 11, I guess, or 12, uh, uh live events a year. Uh, I think I'm going to be doing the, uh, the big money race at Kilcare at the beginning of May. Uh, so that'll be a, a nice change of pace to get back yeah. to a big money bracket race for the first time in a while. But other than that, I don't really write for anybody anymore. So, uh, yeah, Facebook is pretty much where I go after the people that say, you know, Hey, that was the quickest run of all time by a blue 62 Studebaker with one operating turn light. And I'll jump in there and say, no, no, you're wrong. <laughs> well, and they just need to sit back and take it because I'm sure you're right. And, and it's been wonderful. Well, I, I do appreciate the offer to come on the show. I, I really uh, think the world of you guys, I, I hope you realize that. And uh, I wish you the best of luck throughout the year and uh, anytime Anytime you got a stupid question that you think I might know the answer, please just get a hold of me. Be careful now, because uh, we we'll call you All back. Right, buddy. <laughs> All right, thank Brett. you, gentlemen. Thanks, Thanks a lot, man. Have a good night. You do. Bye. Honey, where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's what's on tap. All right, guys. Big news out of our friends at the AHRA. There's bonus money for AHRA members to win if you are racing in the Firecracker Big Money Bracket Race at Byron Dragway on July the 7th. If you're in the electronics category, you win and you're an AHRA member, you get $1,250 bonus money. If you're in a no-box category, you win and you're an AHRA member, and you're racing with an automatic in your car, you get $2,500 bonus money from AHRA. And if you are racing in a stick car, you're swapping gears in a manual equipped race car, and you win any category, and you're an AHRA member, they got $5,000 bonus money for you. Lots of great money out there from the AHRA. Be sure to get your share. Good stuff, Big Jed. Looks like we'll have some good fuel for conversation next week. Uh, a lot of big events coming up this weekend. The biggest, at least in terms of payout, bracket race of the season comes to Silver Dollar Raceway in Reynolds, Georgia this weekend. That's the SFG Triple 50Ks. I believe it's the Racers Appreciation Shootout. And a little birdie told me that uh, the Triple 50s might be like a 50 and 100. Yeah, Luke, I uh, saw it today from Kyle Riley. By the way, this is the first of its kind at Silver Dollar, so this is going to be uh, an epic event. Looking forward to seeing how it turns out. But it looks like it's going to be 50000 Friday if things hold to form. Kyle said it looks like a very high chance of rain on Sunday, so he's doing what any racer would want him to do. He's going to double everything on Saturday. He was 90% sure of that today, so you guys keep up with that yourself and make sure you're following uh, Kyle's page there, the SFG, but it looks like a hundred grander on Saturday, Luke, and everything doubles all the way down to round money, the buybacks, the whole deal. 
Um, so, you know, somebody's going to start out Saturday the way it looks with, uh, with a $100,000 win in March to get their season kicked off and running. Yeah, heck of a way to start the year. As we mentioned earlier, NHRA Division Two has its second event of the season uh, this coming up weekend in Gainesville. And I don't know, Jed. Like, I, I missed the boat here. Like, I had did they call this the Baby Gators? Yeah, yeah, they're is calling that it new. Baby. It's got to be new. I've been seeing it, and I'm like, this is the first I've really seen or heard of the Baby Gators. But maybe it just wasn't making its social media before. I don't know. Okay, uh, that makes me feel better because I'm like, I've been to that race before and, and like I kind of follow things. I'd never heard of the Baby Gators. And now, like you say, everywhere you look, I'm going to the Baby Gators. What the yep. heck is the Baby? Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that I'm not completely in the dark there. So Baby Gators coming to uh, Gainesville this weekend. We'll be sure to cover that on next week's show. And a little bit of change of plans from our friends at IHRA. They're... Summit Sportsman Spectacular was slated to kick off this coming weekend, originally at two different venues. Both of those events have been rescheduled. I think Farmington, North Carolina got rescheduled due to weather. That will now be October 5th through the 7th. And the race at the new track down in, I believe it's Ferris, Texas, uh, Extreme Raceway Park. I don't think they quite got the facility ready in time. They moved that race back to June 1st through the 3rd. So not exactly clear as to what ITRA is doing in terms of extending pre-entry for both of those events. But I'm sure that they will come out with some details on that soon. And we will be sure to share them with you on the show. But uh, just a public service announcement. If you were planning on making the trip to either of those facilities this weekend, those events have been rescheduled yeah rough little start for them there luke but uh, some construction challenges in texas and getting a pretty cold snap with some rain coming to in uh, the north carolina area so good decisions by those guys um they didn't get the start they wanted but rescheduling good time of year in both of those areas so hopefully they get some great events later on in the year i'm sure they will Okay, let's go completely off script here, Big Jed. If if this happens and uh, and Reynolds becomes a hundred thousand dollars to win on Saturday, uh, give me a pick. Who, who's going to take home the big money? Just completely Ooh. off the cuff. Oh man, yeah, that was uh, that's going to be a challenge. But um, I, you know, I'm pulling for. I know they're going. I'm pulling for either of the Galitties. Because they're hot right now, Luke. They're making really good runs, and, and obviously it's working out well for them. So uh, I'm going to pick Corey Galitti to get it done. I, I think he's just going to stay hot and roll through them and get that 100K. All right. All right. I like that pick. I am uh, i don't know many people are going. Like I wasn't prepared for this at all. I know the Lynch and Tedesco team's going, so Race and Jason's never a bad pick. But mm. I feel like that's too obvious. Give me... I, I assume it's a it's a big dollar race in Georgia. I assume Jeremy Hancock will be there. Give me Hancock. Oh, very good choice. Yeah, yeah. Hancock. Hancock would be hard to beat any any state, but especially in his home state. Go dogs, Hancock. Good luck to you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that wraps us up. It's been a great show. Um, definitely uh, enjoyed the the talk and uh, this episode of the sportsman drag racing podcast coming to an end but not before we say thanks to our great sponsors Siebert performance the ahra the ihra uh, porta tree we want to thank those guys as well and uh, how about a uh, mark's throwing in a shout out to cole castile and a shout out to crosby north dakota that could be the one and only time we wrap up the podcast with a shout out up in there so appreciate uh, you guys all you folks in crosby listening to the show i know you're tuning in by all means well. shout out cole castile shout out crosby north dakota shout out brett kepner thank you for coming on the show brett um interested again in engaging with you listeners and finding out what you think about the hall of fame discussion uh what did we miss uh what needs to be included and just good food for thought um when to be completely honest there's not a whole lot else to talk about <laughs> yeah, but be sure to tell us what you think, even if it's uh, getting on us a little bit. We still enjoy it. You can uh, check us out on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, easy to find, or you can uh, hit us up on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X, and shout out to uh, PJ North as well for 
all the great uh, drops and music that he does for us. We appreciate you, PJ. You guys be sure to look up PJ and get some of his music. We're done for this week, guys. Appreciate you tuning in, and we'll talk to you again next week. I don't know if we've ever shouted out anybody on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, and we got we like have six now. of them right there at the end. <laughs> we should make this a thing. Let's shout out the world. Yeah, we did. <laughs> See you guys. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Pennington. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.